Friends, our scripture lesson this morning is found in the prophet Jonah. Prophet Jonah. And we read just a few verses from Jonah chapter 4. The book of Jonah is one of those little 12, one of those 12 little uh, prophets that we have in the Old Testament. Jonah consists of just a few chapters. And this morning we read from the last chapter, chapter 4. And we begin at verse 1. So this ties in with the children's story that we had earlier on. Jonah chapter 4 from verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you are a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, hands up those of you who have heard of Jonah and the three pigs. Friends, <laughs> our theme for this quarter is based on our Rand Park Ridge United Church mission statement that says, Care, reach, grow, and send. Will you say it with me? Care, reach, grow, and send. And so today we continue thinking about what it means for us to reach out to others. So we come to the story of Jonah here in these prophets. The story of Jonah is about God's all-encompassing love. So in this story we see how God reaches out to other people beyond the people Israel. When I began thinking about a sermon on Jonah, and in my research, in my reading and praying and thinking through and reading through the story, it occurred to me how cartoonish our approach to the book of Jonah so often is. And so if you just go on a Google search and you go to Google, Google Images and type in Jonah, um, you'll find hundreds if not thousands of pictures, and believe me, I read them all, <laughs> of whales swallowing up a man. And uh, one of my favorite ones was even a kind of man dressed up in a James Bond sort of three-piece suit, bowler hat and a little umbrella climbing out of this big whale's mouth. <laughs> Most of the pictures of Jonah seem to come from the children's Bible. And, uh, I just wondered if for the most part it seems that Jonah and the whale are the preserve of children's Sunday school stories. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why suddenly when we, when we think about Jonah, when we type in the picture of Jonah, that this image of a whale seems to come up so prominently. Uh, the book of Jonah doesn't even mention a whale anywhere. <laughs> um, it simply speaks about a big fish. 
And I wonder how in popular church culture that this whole idea of the whale kind of came about. Because it seems to me that the very center of the story that we have here in this prophet, the story of Jonah and the whale, and that seems to be the focus and the main emphasis. In 1891, one James Bartley claimed to be a fisherman on board a fishing vessel off the coast of England. And he says that during a whaling ex- expedition, he fell overboard and landed in the ocean, uh, the North Sea somewhere out in the Atlantic. And as he sank down, a great big whale came along and swallowed him. <laughs> it was 1891. It was reported in the Barnmouth Chronicle. And after three days, the whale was caught It was tethered to the ship, and eventually they started slicing up this big whale for blubber. And as they got near the innards, they found a funny shape in the intestine. And it looked like a man in a fetal position. And so they sliced it open, and lo and behold, there was James Bartley pulled up. And uh, he claimed that he survived this incident to tell about his three days that he spent in the belly of a whale. Um, Most people who have researched James Bartley's story um, seem to think that it was probably nonsense. (laughs) Nonetheless, you get the picture that in our popular conception that this prophet Jonah is all about the story of Jonah and the whale. I wondered, you know, kind of why that is, because it's not even the most interesting part of the story. (laughs) The most interesting part of Jonah isn't about a big fish at all, but I assume that the whale motif has become popular in an attempt to prove somehow that Jonah was a real person, that all of this kind of popular culture follows the idea that Jonah is a real person. Many biblical scholars suggest that Jonah is a parable, a very sharp, a very insightful, and a very subversive parable about God. So I think that emphasizing whether Jonah is parable or whether an actual person, I think if that was going to be our focus, then we would have missed the point entirely. Our main concern as people of faith, is not so much historicity, but faith. Hear what God is speaking to us through a great prophetic book. So the book of Jonah presents to us four spiritual insights, and I want to share these four spiritual insights with you today. I believe that they are important, and I believe that in some ways the book of Jonah presents to us an idea of God, a picture of faith that is somehow slightly different to other parts of the Old Testament. But first, I want to focus on what Jonah has in common with other parts of the Old Testament. And so in the first place, I think that where we should begin is to understand the Old Testament perspective that God directs human history The whole focus, the whole thrust, the whole message behind this story of the prophet Jonah 
is to proclaim this perspective that God directs human history in order to achieve his This is the first lesson that we get from the book of Jonah. That things happen on a global scale in order to achieve God's purposes in the world. In order to make God's purposes and God's plans to come about. So it is quite a common perspective of the Old Testament that God directs human history in order to achieve the purposes. Much of the Old Testament presents this understanding that things happen for a reason. Things happen for a reason. And perhaps the reason why you are here in the church today in this service of worship is because things happen for a reason. From the perspective of the Old Testament, either God directs it or God allows it to take place for a greater purpose. Many of the biblical writers, we human beings seem to be short-sighted. They see us in lacking a bigger perspective of the things of God. For the people of the Old Testament, the writers of the Old Testament, they see us as human beings struggling to see the big picture of what God is about. So in the story of Job, for instance, and we know Job, a man who was wealthy and well-known, famous, and was struck down with diseases and his family were wiped out and all his wealth was taken away. Job is another Old Testament character. and He is a player in a bigger scene. And yet for Job, he can't quite grasp what this bigger scene is all about. He knows that there's something happening, but he can't quite pin it down and say, this is what is happening, and this is why I'm experiencing what I am today. But nonetheless, in Job, we see a person who determines that he will hold on to God as best he can. In spite of the circumstances of his life, in spite of the misfortunes that he experienced, in spite of the illnesses and the the bad things that happened to him, he would hold on to God with all that he had, best of his ability. The Old Testament, both writers and prophets, were aware of this fact that God is in control, even if it wasn't always obvious or plain to them. So here in the book of Jonah, we see this principle at work in a fantastic way. Jonah is aware that he is a player in a much bigger scene. But there is something else happening around his life that he is involved in, that he's caught up in. And so his response is to run away. He wasn't born out of just wanting to escape, not going to Nineveh. It was born out of a sense of awareness that there was something more happening that he was caught up in something that was bigger than just himself. That is why we call Jonah the reluctant prophet. We see how not only is he reluctant to follow where God has directed him to, but he becomes angry with God. He's filled with anger and he says, but why are you doing this? Why are you loving compassion? I know that that's what you like, but I don't want you to be like that. Jonah knows and has a sense that there's something bigger happening in his life than just God sending him down far away in the central plains of the ancient Near East. So there's a line of thought among scholars that perhaps the reason why Jonah ran away from God 
is because he could see that the Assyrians were becoming a very powerful military threat to the nation of Israel. And we know from this side of history, looking back, that in the year 722 BC, the Assyrian army overran and then destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Do you know where Nineveh is? Nineveh is situated right in the center of the kingdom of Assyria. The very people that God sent Jonah to were the ones that God used to punish Israel for their sin. So you see, the first lesson that we become aware of in the story of Jonah is that God is in control of history. But the things that happen in our lives and in the world, because God allows it to happen, because God directs it to happen. And it is a very interesting and powerful perspective. Maybe come back to that thought a bit later on. The second lesson that we learn from Jonah is that God loves people beyond Israel. God loves people beyond Israel. Quite a hard lesson. And especially if you were Jewish, it would be a very hard lesson. God loves people even beyond Israel. Friends, most of us have been taught this refrain, that Israel is God's chosen people. We've all heard that, one way or another, in the church, and what we've read in Bible studies and things. Israel is God's chosen people. But I really think that we have to qualify the statement. For in the Old Testament, Israel was chosen for a special purpose. It wasn't that Israel was special by any um, attribute of themselves. In the perspective of the Old Testament, Israel was special because God called them for a special purpose. God had a special function. God had a special place in history. God had a special plan for the Hebrew people. It was that that was the reason for them being called. Israel was not chosen because Israel was somehow special in the eyes of God. Israel was chosen for a special purpose in the plans of God. So when we say that Israel is God's chosen people, we have to qualify that. We have to say Israel had a special place in the purposes of God. There's no blanket approval of Israel, either politically or the state of Israel. There's no blanket approval. When Israel sinned, God punished her. In the perspective of the Old Testament, that sin of Israel, and we read about it right through all of these 12 prophets and the four major prophets, that sin of Israel ultimately led to the fall of first the northern kingdom and then the, the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom fell to the mighty Assyrian army led by tiglath pileser II, the Assyrian king, in 722 Switching then to the New Testament, we see that while salvation is from the Jews, that very quickly in the early church, that this perspective that Israel was special in the purposes of God became spiritualized. Israel became not about bloodlines of tribes, but rather Israel became the spiritual root of the stump of Jesse. 
But if you'd like to read more about that particular issue, then I encourage you to turn to the book of Romans. And you'll find it from chapter 9 right the way through to chapter 11, where Paul deals with the spiritualized role of Israel in the purposes and plan. In the book of Jonah, we see how God's love reaches beyond the people of Israel. And so Jonah is sent by God to the Ninevites. Go and preach to them, God tells Jonah. But somehow or other, Jonah was afraid of that mission. And I'm suggesting today that perhaps he was afraid of that mission because he knew of what was going to come out of it. He could see the bigger picture. The book of Jonah then becomes subversive in its theology because it speaks directly to the nation of Israel. It speaks to this dominant theme. Israel is somehow God's chosen people. It says, God loves you, but God requires you to follow a holy God. So when other prophetic books speak about God's love for Israel, Jonah speaks about God's love towards other people. If we go deeper into under the surface of the text, then we can see that perhaps this is what made Jonah a reluctant prophet. Jonah was able to see, firstly, the bigger picture of what God is about, and secondly, that Jonah was able to see God's love goes beyond Israel. Maybe he was just a nationalist. And he hated the very idea that God, that Jehovah, that Yahweh, could love someone outside. So the second big lesson that we see in the book of Jonah is that God loves people beyond Israel. Yet, Jonah was a Jew, and he wanted God's favor to be shown exclusively, and certainly not to the Assyrians who were building a giant army on their northern border and who were the enemies of Israel. So consequently, when God decided not to overthrow the city of Nineveh in his mercy, and because the people had repented, Jonah was exceedingly displeased. The scripture says that he became very angry with God. The third big lesson that we see in the book of Jonah is how God loves the animals and the plants that he created. Further on in, jo in Jonah chapter 4, here we see God saying in verse 11, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people, cannot tell their right hand from their left? There are also many animals. Here in Jonah, we get a glimpse of God's compassionate heart. Here in Jonah, we see that God cares for what God has created. God is willing to show His grace, not only to Israel, but beyond Israel, to the Assyrians in Nineveh. And God is willing to show His grace, not only to the Ninevites, but also even to the cattle who live in the city. So in various places in the scripture, we see God's love and God's kindness towards the whole of God's creation. In the Old Testament, we get this profound sense of God's enjoyment of what He created. Think for a moment of the creation stories in the book of Genesis, where there is that repeated refrain, 
What does it say? And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. God enjoys what He created. God has a relationship to everything that He created. In fact, all of the five historic proofs of God's existence come to us from a branch of theology known as natural theology. And natural theology attempts to show God's presence in and through nature. So we see this picture of God enjoying what He created. And God saw that it was good. Going off into the New Testament, we see Paul again writing to the Roman church. And this is what he asserts, that the whole of God's creation groans for the day of its redemption. The whole of God's creation groans for the day of its redemption. If we were to take what Paul is saying, then it means that God's intention is the redemption of all. God delights, joys in a profound way, His creation. All of this speaks to us to a very important place in the biblical theology created order. And it is a place that we have become more conscious of over the last 50 years. Finally, in the Revelation of John, we see there a picture of God's new heaven and God's new earth. All of these things to take place in the bigger purposes of God. God cares about His creation. And then finally, the fourth big theme that we see coming out of the book of Jonah is that God is ascending God. That God reaches out to people. That God reaches out to His creation. That all through the biblical witness, God used the Hebrew people for His purposes to provide the framework and the means for redemption. So God reaches out to us in Jesus, His Son. This is the good news that God reaches out to us. And we, in turn, are called to take our place in the redemptive purposes of God. The Bible is the story of God's salvation. Then we acknowledge that as Jesus was sent into the world, we, in turn, are sent into the world. For God's purposes. We don't ourselves bring salvation. We don't save people. We don't save anyone. But in sharing the good news about God, we are able to point them, we are able to lead people into a living relationship with the created all. So in seeking to serve Christ, we need to acknowledge that our picture very often is limited. And so we need to trust that God is ultimately in control of human history, that His purposes will be fulfilled. I believe that if our vision, if our picture, if our understanding of God's purposes is too small, then we will compromise our witness and our testimony of faith. We need to bear in mind always that in the plans and purposes of God, always a bigger picture. Perhaps like Jonah, we need to become more aware of what God is doing in our midst 
in our world and through human history. We also need to understand that God's purposes go beyond Israel. And perhaps we need to hear that God's purposes may even go beyond the church. And isn't it exactly this feature of the prophet Jonah that is so subversive? In the third place, we need to develop a biblical appreciation for God's creation. See, if we say that we honor God, then we need to respect what God created. Finally, we need to honor God's calling on our lives. Don't run and hide. There's nowhere where we can hide from God. If you read that fantastic prayer that Jonah speaks in the belly of the great fish, we'll see that there's nowhere where we can hide from God. So let us not be Jonah's in this sense. But where God places his call upon our lives, that we seek to escape what God is about. If we are going to follow the purposes of God, then there are some things that we need to do. The first thing that we need to do is we need to know our unique spiritual gifts. Later on through the ministry and through the year, there will be an opportunity again for you to explore your spiritual gifts out of God. And in knowing what your spiritual gifts are and understanding them, being able to find and understand your place in the purposes. What we can do if we want to serve God is to be available to His leading, prompting of God. We need to make ourselves available to Him. Easy for us to say, hey, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going to Toshish. Easy for us to say, hey, I'm too busy. It's easy for us to say, hey, I don't know how to do that, or I don't have the strength, or the knowledge, or the skills. Be available to God in a way that Jonah wasn't. And look for places that you can serve God so that you can fulfill your place in the purposes of God. Finally, you can walk close to Christ. For it is in following Christ closely, having, developing and growing and deepening relationship with Him. You are able to grow closer to God. So know your spiritual gifts. Be available to God. Look for places to serve and walk closely with Jesus. These are the things that we can do to honor God's calling on our life. May God bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.